Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We're in this series that's been working toward Father's Day, uh, which of course is uh, next uh, Sunday. So a reminder all the guys trying to get here early enough to fill out a registration card. We uh, give away gifts in both services during Mother's Day. Do that uh, Father's Day um, also. Uh, we'll try and find you more uh, manly gift certificates into a boutique that we gave uh, for, the, uh, for the women uh, on, on Mother's Day. Uh, I told him in the first service we probably should have substituted a different video uh, for today instead of the one we've been running as a transition video uh, because yesterday we did the ride for the cause, uh, raising money for the mission trip to Guatemala. So it would have been more fitting if we had men doing manly things like out riding their motorcycles and we had video uh, from that and uh, everything, even uh, on the drag strip. I even tried it yesterday after Lynn Crump kept on said, get yours on the, out there. You wish you did if you didn't. I think his only motive was he knew he was faster than me uh, to start with uh, before he would get me out there. Yesterday, if you're here in time to hear Brandy uh, say we've uh, raised to this point a, a little bit over $5,000 uh, toward the mission trip or what took place yesterday uh, on, the, uh, on the mission trip. We'll be starting a, a series on the other side of Father's Day entitled Preparing for a Mission, uh, and it will deal somewhat uh, with the fact that we're leaving uh, on July the 18th to go to Guatemala. Uh, several of us are and be gone for 10 days, come back on the 28th. So that will be what the series is somewhat about, but it's not just about that because, you see, the Bible teaches all of us are supposed to be on mission. Uh, so uh, I hope you'll think about that as we get into the uh, end of the new series. <clears throat> the uh, way we've approached this uh, series entitled Calling All Men... We, we've been t- trying to take some uh, components, not a verse-by-verse study of Abraham's life, but we've been taking some stories from Abraham's life, uh, about five main stories, uh, to challenge us. And, and even though the title is calling on men, all of us need to have our ears open and, and apply these principles and things we've been talking about to our lives. But uh, we've looked at Abraham, and, and these are the messages that, that we have gotten from, uh, from Abraham's story. Uh, next slide, please. We start out with uh, talking about by faith, take your family with you. Uh, Abram gives us a good picture of that. God called him to leave the Ur of Chaldees and go to a place that God was going to show him. So he does that by faith and he takes his family with him. We talked about building your altar, and that's why we have these rocks up here still uh, on the stage. On that particular Sunday, I challenged the men especially, but not just the men. Uh, I saw some of the women coming up during the invitation and picking up one of these rocks. And if you were not here on that Sunday today during the invitation, I invite you just to slip up here and pick up one of these rocks and take it home and put it in a conspicuous place just to remind yourself that you need to kind of build your own altar at home. And, and that doesn't mean go home and literally build an altar, but you need to build one by leading in worship in your home and reminding yourself, putting in a place that will remind you, you need to pray, you need to study your Bible, and uh, you, you need to keep uh, trying to spiritually grow uh, in your life. Last week, we talked about staking your claim, because in Abraham's life, there's a time that, that he and, and Lot, uh, their herdsmen had kind of a dissension with each other, an argument uh, with each other. So uh, Abram uh, really practiced charity and uh, uh, humility and things like that by allowing Lot to choose first. Uh, and Lot staked his claim 
by deciding that Wellwater Plain outside of Sodom looked like a good place to maybe go and raise his family and, and raise his livestock. So he chose that. But in choosing it, he failed to look and see what the ultimate consequences might would be. And what I challenged you primarily last week was this. As we stake our claims in life, we need not just look at what might be immediately attractive to us. We need to look beyond and see what the consequences might be down the road. Because regrettably, it led to Lot not just pitching his tent towards Sodom. He moves into the city of Sodom. And then he winds up being sitting in the gate as a leader in the city of Sodom. And ultimately, he loses his testimony. He can't even convince his own son-in-laws to leave because the city is about to be destroyed. And his wife looks back. And the Bible says she's turned into a pillar of salt. So he loses his wife because of that decision. So we need to think when we state claims in life what the ultimate consequences might be. Today we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about uh, make your tithe and, and trust in God. I'll say more about that in a moment. Uh, next week on Father's Day, the topic is beg God for your family. Uh, so I want you to come, especially men, come with, uh, with a preparation to, to maybe do a little bit more praying than what you normally do. Because in, in that story, if you remember when the, uh, uh, the angels were sent by God and Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed, uh, Abram kind of kept uh, begging God or bartering with God and coming down to a number that if you look at it would have been the number of his family that he knew of was in Sodom. If, if they could have just all uh, been counted righteous, then God would have spared the city. So you kind of get a picture of Abram begging God for his family. And, and we live in a day and time we need to beg God for our families, for our children, for our grandchildren. And uh, next time they can prepare to maybe pray a little bit more uh, than what we normally do, especially, uh, especially the men. But, but as I said, today we're talking about make your tithe trust in God. And we're going to be looking as we go through the message uh, of Genesis 14, verse 17 through 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 6. Now that may seem like a strange topic. Uh, when we're thinking about men. Uh, but the, the story you'll see in just a moment is, is a time when uh, uh, Abram makes a, a tithe to Melchizedek, who the Bible tells us, we'll look in detail, is a type or a picture of Jesus as we go through the message. The reason I think it might be a challenging message for us as men is that I, I kind of found over the years, even in my own experience, it, it's the men sometimes that have a harder, harder time making a decision to tithe. Because I could always think of something else I could use the money for. Any, any of you guilty of that? I, I mean, I could. Uh, until God had really dealt with me. And I think as men also, we, we struggle a little bit with trusting in God. Because after all, we're, we're men. You know, we ought to be able to take care of everything ourselves. That's what we delude ourselves into believing. That we can deal with everything. But we can't deal uh, with everything uh, at, at all. Uh, so that's kind of the basis of, of the story. Uh, like I said, I'll read the verses that we go. To give you the background to it, what had happened was this. So, uh, some invading kings came into Sodom, and uh, Lot, who was Abram's nephew, was living in the city. And uh, they carried Lot, along with several other people, and some of the wealth of the city away. Abram decides to go out and rescue Lot and all the people and the possessions and bring them back. I think maybe that gives us a picture of a couple of things. One, it gives us a picture of Abram, even though his nephew was a little bit rebellious and decided to choose the best place for himself and had moved into Sodom and was living there. It shows us that Abraham still cared for his nephew and he went out to rescue his nephew. I think in with it, he, it tells us that Abram delivered him by the power of, of, of the sword. So uh, irregardless of how sometimes we might be taught in our culture, I'm just being honest with you. And as you look at the Bible, sometimes force is necessary. 
You know, I don't think we ought to rush to that, but you look at the Bible and you see force being necessary sometimes. I think what it might also give us a picture of, though, is this. We, like Abram, need to be willing to go after people and reclaim people when they've made the wrong choices in life that lead them to dangerous circumstances in life. Because Lot had done that, and Abram goes and rescues him. And you and I need to be willing to rescue people who are suffering the consequences of bad choices. Now, now that's just the, the, the story of him going out and delivering Lot. On his way back, he is met by two different kings. And he makes a tithe to one of the kings, and, and then God makes more promises to him that increases the trust or the faith that Abram should have had in God. So, so with that in mind, we, we need to ask two questions, or kind of two statements with two questions uh, attached to it this morning. Our first one is this. Make your tithe, and the question is, which king will you honor? Which king will you honor? Because as, as Abram comes back with the spoils of the battle, having rescued Lot and other people and bringing back the possessions with him, he's met by two kings that I think give us a picture of two very different ways of living. And the choices that we can make in life. The, the first king that he's met with is what I'm calling a worldly king. And that's the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom. The, the Bible tells us in verse 17, after his return uh, from, from the defeat of Cheddar Leomor. And I suggest you don't ever name your son a name like that. Uh, and, and the kings who are with him, the, the king of Sodom went out to meet him. Now, we're not told in this passage, but we're told earlier that his name is Bera. But anyway, the king of Solomon went out to meet him at the valley of Shaddai, that is the, the king's valley. So as Abram is on his way back with these people that he's rescued in these possessions, this king of Sodom comes out to meet him. His name, Bera, means gift. And, and a lot of Bible scholars see in his name meaning gift a certain temptation taking place at this point in time in Abram's life. And that is Bera, the, the king of Sodom, which by the way, Sodom represents burning, which maybe gives us a, a, a future testimony of what's going to happen to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. This king whose name means gift, and he's the king of burning, a city that means burning, he comes out to meet Abram. And what he tells Abram, we'll read in just a moment, but uh, what, he, what he tells Abram is more or less this. He, he tells him that uh, just give me the people back. That's what the king of Sodom says. And, and you keep the possessions for yourself. So his name, Burrah, maybe gives us a, a picture of a world system that wants to confront us and tempt us and say, hey, you take these things from us. You take these things from this world system. And in doing so, if we're not careful, we're buying into something that's going to affect us in a lot of negative ways. And we'll, we'll talk more about that uh, in a second. But that's what this king does. His name means gift. And he's kind of like a picture of a world system that wants to talk us into buying into the world system of what it offers us. Uh, and, and like I said, he, he's the king of this place that, that actually means burning. Now, I, I'm just thinking that we get a picture of this also. If we bow down to Burrow, his name means gift. And if that does give a picture of a world system, the gifts of the world, 
What can very well happen is this. The gifts of the world will trap us. And we can wind up investing our life totally in a world system that one day will be burned up and be gone. That's exactly what happens to Lot. Lot makes a choice to buy into Sodom. And he invests his life totally there. And then one day it's gone. And if that's all we do, if we just invest our lives into a world system, if we're drawn in by, by the gifts of the world and we invest our lives there, one day it will all be gone because those things, you see, won't last. The Bible clearly teaches the only thing that really lasts is what's done for Jesus. Amen? The, the things that we do for, for the Lord, not the things that we may do for, for the world. Now, someone may be wondering, well, why are you calling him a worldly king? All right, I, I'm assuming... <laughs> If you are the king of Sodom, that probably means you're a little bit worldly. Would that not be maybe true? Because of what Sodom represented, because of the great sin within Sodom. The Bible clearly teaches that it displays homosexuality uh, as a sin that was rampant within that city. And God judged Sodom and Gomorrah because of what was taking place. And I'm not going to deal with that in the detail I did last week. We dealt with it last week in more detail. And, and, and I think our challenge in this day and time as Christians is that we communicate with people the right way because we're, we're tagged as being bigots and hateful and, and, and everything like that. We, we need to find ways to tell people, but this is what God's word says, and, and this is what God says is right, and this is what's wrong in a way that we're not just being hateful and mean spirited with people. We can still tell, tell people the truth, amen? If, if we'll try and do it in the right way. And the Bible clearly teaches us in several passages, we don't have time to look at those today, that, that shows us uh, the, the sin that Solomon Gomorrah was really guilty of. But here's where the temptation comes in. The temptation comes in in verse 21 through 24. And the Bible said this, and I've already kind of talked you through it. But, but the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, in other words, all the people you've rescued, but Abram, you take the goods for yourself. Now that sounds like something that might be an okay deal. Because Abram's the one that went out and got the goods back and got the people back from the invading army that had carried them away from Sodom. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Now, let me stop before I finish reading that, because I love the way that Abram responds to the king of Sodom. It's as though he's telling the king of Sodom, you're wanting to give me possessions from within the king of, from within the kingdom of Sodom, from within the city of Sodom. You're wanting to give me possessions there, but I'm not going to receive it. And here's why. I don't need what you're trying to give me because I serve the one that owns everything. Amen. I serve the one that's the, the possessor of heaven and earth. But Abram said, I'd raise my hand that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours. Now, that sounds like something very minute and very small. You mean a, a thread or a sandal, you know, strap off a sandal? And Abram said, I won't even take that. And here's why he said so. Lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. 
I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. And then he even says, notice the integrity of Abram. He's not even forcing his own morality on somebody else because there are other people that went with him who were secular people to help deliver Lot and the people that have been carried away. And he said, let Adner, Eskel, and Mambri take their share. So he's not saying it's wrong for them to take their share. Abram is just saying it's wrong for me to take the share because I've raised my hand and made a pledge before God. I'm going to take any anything from you because if I do, I will compromise myself. Did did you see the compromise that was there? He he was saying, lest you say that I have made Abram rich. Abram did not want there to be even a hint of a chance for the king of Sodom to say, I've helped you out. I'm the one that's made you rich because you see, that's not true at all. It was the God of heaven that had helped Abram. Amen. Not the king of Sodom. But Abram wanted to so live his life in such a way, he cannot even be accused of having received something from from Sodom. Matter of fact, it could have looked like this. Had Abram allowed the king of Sodom to give him something, then that kind of brings glory to Abram. And Abram wasn't one to bring glory to himself. He had raised his hand before the God of heaven. He wanted to be sure all the glory went to God and not any of that glory to himself. He was guarding against people maybe making some phrases like this. The people could have said something like this had Abram received gifts from them. They could have said, well, Abram, whose name becomes Abraham, they could have said Abraham rescued Lot for what he could get out of it. In other words, that's the only reason he went, so he could get paid by the king of Sodom. He didn't go because he had a moral conviction. He didn't go and do it for the right reason. He simply did it so he could get something out of it. Or the people might have said something like this. The the people could have said, well, Abraham refuses to live in Sodom with Lot. In other words, Abraham's too good to live in Sodom, but he enjoys the good of Sodom just the same. You see how that could have affected his testimony? How that could could have affected the character of Abram if he had allowed the king of Sodom to give him anything? It would have affected his testimony to a certain degree. And the lesson we need to learn from that is this. We need to be careful of our alliances in life ourselves. We need to be careful of the alliances we make. We need to be careful of the choices we make in life because making the wrong choice can lead to a great compromise in our lives and a loss of testimony. That's why Abram would not receive anything. So this first king comes out to meet him, this worldly king, the the king of Sodom, and, and Abram kind of thumbs his nose at him and refuses him. But there's a second king that comes out to meet him. And the second king is a worthy king because it's the king of Salem. The Bible says in Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Notice a parenthetical statement. He was priest of God most high. And Melchizedek blessed him, blessed Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. You see, God's the one that helped him win the victory, not Abram himself. Who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, now some things about this guy, this high priest by the name of Melchizedek that we need to, uh, we need to focus on for a moment. The Bible makes it really clear that Melchizedek, and his name means king of righteousness. You'll see it actually in a, in a New Testament verse in a minute. The Bible makes it clear that Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ. He's a type or a picture of our heavenly high priest. 
The Bible doesn't give us anything about the lineage of Melchizedek. It doesn't tell us about a beginning. It doesn't tell us about an end of Melchizedek. And the Bible will clearly teach us, we're going to read some verses just to prove that to you here in a minute, that, that he is a type or a picture of Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 15 and 17. The Bible says this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. Now that's talking about Jesus, and you'll understand that more in a minute. Who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, in other words, not because he was part of a bloodline of, of high priest, but by the power of an indestructible life. Who has an indestructible life except Jesus? You nail him to a cross, you throw him in a tomb, what happened? He took his life back up on the third day. And he lives forevermore. Now, now we'll see that in, in the priesthood of Melchizedek. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever, talking about Jesus. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Hebrews is quoting from Psalms. And in Psalms 110, verse 4, it says this. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, talking about God the Father, and he's speaking to God the Son. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, to make it really clear, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20 through 25. And the Bible says there, and it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath. Whose oath was? It was God the Father's oath. We just saw that. God the Father's one that made an oath about God the Son. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus, see, that makes it really clear to us who we're talking about. This makes Jesus, who Melchizedek was a type of, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Next slide. The former priests were many in number. Talking about all the priests that preceded Jesus. Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Now that simply means this. No matter what high priest had rule within Israel, at some point in time, they get old and they do what? Die. So they could not continue their priesthood forever. But it goes on and says this, but he, referring to Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. In other words, yes, they nailed Jesus to a cross, as I said a moment ago, and yes, they put him in a tomb, but he took his life back up and he ascended and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father, and he's always continuously our high priest for the rest of all time. And as a result of that, verse 25 says, consequently, he, talking about Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That wasn't true of other priests because they would die. They cannot always live to offer sacrifices. They cannot always live to keep praying for, for those that they were ministering to. But Jesus made a once and for all sacrifice. And he rose from the dead. He ascended. He sat down at the right hand of God the father the bible says he's there praying for us now and because he's an eternal high priest he can save us to the uttermost we're saved forever because our high priest his reign never ends that's some great truths isn't it i mean that's something to encourage us this morning to know that jesus lives forever and because of what he did for us on the cross he can save us to the uttermost but he's also 
the king of Salem. Melchizedek was the king of Salem. And being the king of Salem, that means the king of peace. See, Christ gives us peace through his own righteousness made possible by his death on the cross. I thought as I read this story, what an encouragement it was to see right when Abram is being being tempted by the king of Salem to take the gifts of, uh, or the king of Sodom to take the gifts of Sodom. Right when that's taking place, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, shows up and he ministers to Abram and he gives him bread to drink, or bread to eat and wine to drink. Guess what that's a picture and a type of? That's a picture and a type of Jesus Christ, body being nailed to the cross, his blood being shed upon the cross. And it's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we can be made righteous. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we can experience peace in our lives because he is the king of peace. That bread and wine typify the body and the shed blood of Jesus. And it's his cross that makes possible this heavenly, eternal priesthood of Christ. And Melchizedek shows up and he meets Abraham and he feeds him and he blesses him right in the moment when he's being tempted. And because Melchizedek is a worthy king, because he's a king of righteousness and the king of peace, a type of Christ, we find this. Abraham honored Melchizedek by paying him tithes of all. That's what the passage told us a moment ago. A lot of times when you talk about tithes, people say, but that was part of the old Mosaic code. That was part of the law that, that, that God gave Moses on top of Mount Sinai. And uh, we're not under the law now, we're under grace. But I want you to notice something, the law had not been given. This is the very first mention of tithe in the Bible. Bible scholars uh, pay attention to something that's called a first mention principle in the Bible. So the first time tithing is mentioned in the Bible is not under the law. It refers to Abraham doing it, who himself is saved by faith. And is, and is saved by, by God's grace and God having chose him. Doesn't have anything to do with the Mosaic law. The law will not be given for a few hundred years yet. And yet Abram, out of appreciation for what God had done for him, he offers this tithe, which means 10% of everything that he had there, and, and he gives it to Mel, Melchizedek. And he does so out of honor for God, out of respect to God, out of, out of love for God, out of what God had given him. He doesn't do it out of constraint. He's not doing it forced to do so by law because the law didn't exist yet. He, he of his own volitional will, chooses to, to make this offering, this first instance of tithing in, in the Bible. In Hebrews 7, going back to Hebrews 7 again, indicates to us that Abraham's tithe was really paid in type to Jesus himself. It wasn't just like he was tithing to Melchizedek, he was tithing to Jesus. The Bible says there, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returned from the slaughter with the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, the king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means. And then is also as the king of Salem, meaning king of peace. He's without father or mother or genealogy. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. 
having neither beginning of days or an end of life. But notice this, resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. So the Bible just told us the offering that Abraham made, that 10% that he gave to Melchizedek, is really a picture of this. It's a picture of him giving the 10% to Jesus, the Son of God. As he makes this tie, this offering to him. And I think we might ought to consider this. Just maybe Abraham's example gives us as believers an example today to bring our tithes to God. Not by constraint, not because we have to, not because we're under the law. Abraham refused the riches of the world, but instead he shared his wealth with the Lord and God richly blessed him. Maybe here's a little side principle for us to think about. It is better to experience the blessings of God than attempt blessing yourself by refusing to tithe. He had been experiencing the blessings of God, and because he was receiving the blessings of God, he, he gave a tenth to Melchizedek. Think, think about that. You see, it doesn't even weigh out. Consider I've got a set of skills here. Here's you keeping 10%, and here's you having the blessings of God. Which one would you rather have? Because that 10% won't last very long. And that 10% will disappear in eternity. But the blessings of God are eternal. You know, that, that's why we ought to desire the, the blessings of God. You've heard me put it like this before because sometimes people in talking about tithing will say, well, that was in the, in the Old Testament and now we're in the New Testament under grace. I, my thought has always been this. So you tell me people on the front side of the cross love God more than people on this side of the cross. And I also saw a quote where someone put it a little bit different way. It said this, In the Old Testament, Jew under the law would tithe. How much more ought New Testament Christians under grace? See, the question is kind of like this. Which king will you honor? Abram was met with two kings, so which one are you going to honor? And I would submit to you maybe an indication of which king we're really honoring. One indication is what we do with our finances. Because if we're just using our finances for ourselves and worldly possessions and we're not using it for the kingdom of God, then we're kind of giving a picture of the fact that we're honoring the king of, of Sodom. We're honoring a worldly king. But on the other hand, if because of what Jesus has done for us, and he's a king of righteousness, and he's a king of peace, we're using our finances for his kingdom and to, to help support ministry and do the eternal things that God has called us to. Maybe that just that gives us a picture that we're, that we're actually honoring Jesus, the king of righteousness. When Abraham rejected the king of Sodom and he accepted Melchizedek, he was more or less saying this. He was saying, you can keep the world and give me Jesus. Guys, that ought to be the choice we make, whether it be about our money or anything else that, that, that we face. We ought to thumb our nose at the king of, of Sodom. And we ought to say, we don't need what you're offering. We don't want what you're offering. You can keep that. I want Jesus instead. So, so the first question this morning is simply this. Which king will you honor? And the way you use your finances is an indication of that. The second question this morning deals with, with our faith. Where are you going to place your faith? Not only do we need to, to tithe, we, we need to put our trust in God. 
Where will we place our faith? Where are we going to, to, to found our lives and, and, and base the choices that we make in life? Where will we, where will we place our faith? Abraham's already displayed faith in a lot of ways. God called him as a worshiper of idols over here in the Ur of Chaldees to follow him, a God he had never heard anything about, and go to a place he didn't even know where he was going. And he demonstrates faith by stepping out to follow this God he had never heard of, going to a place he didn't know where it existed. And that's a picture of faith. He he had also demonstrated faith in this way. He had demonstrated faith in God by going out after these invading armies. Which, by the way, I failed to mention this earlier. When you track that out, they traveled about 120 miles on foot for him to rescue Lot and bring the other people back. That's a pretty large commitment. And and he goes out and he rescues them and he brings them back. So by faith, he demonstrates faith in God by rescuing Lot. He also demonstrates faith in God by tithing or giving to Melchizedek. Now, when we come to chapter 15, verse 1 through 6, God gives him more reasons to believe. More reasons to have faith in him. First of all, we need to place our faith in God when we're going through difficult circumstances. We need to place our faith in God when going through difficult circumstances. See, in in chapter 15, verse 1, The Bible says, after these things. Don't allow your Bible study to get blocked sometimes by chapter references. You see, none of that's inspired by God. That was added in just to help us be able to find verses and and topics and things in the Bible. And sometimes it's regrettable where they put it in because there's, there's not an interruption in the story here from chapter 14 to chapter 15. It's not like, okay, chapter 14 is the end of the story. Now there's a new story. No, it says, after these things. What things is, would he be talking about? Well, after he went out, after these invading armies and defeated their king and killed many of the people and brought the people back to Sodom and brought, rescued his nephew Lot, you see, there might be an authentic concern because he had gone out and attacked those people and come back that maybe more of those people would come after him. Don't you think that might be a real concern that Abram could have had? He's gone out after these other kings that came in and invaded. Now, Abram's attacked them and took the possessions away from them and the people that they had in captivity away from them. Just maybe he'd be concerned after these things, he might face some difficulty in his life. I I had to worry about things like that for a while. It still gets on my mind every now and then because I spent 10 years in law enforcement and you don't ever know when someone that you put in in prison, when they get out of prison, when they're going to come looking for you. That's why even after I left law enforcement, I kind of walked around armed like I was still in law enforcement because I don't want somebody coming after my family. It was kind of a genuine concern. I can see that being a genuine concern Abram might have had. On his way back in, he kind of thumbed his nose at the king of Sodom. King of Sodom is trying to look like this important king. Well, I will give you these possessions. You just give me the people. And Abraham kind of said, I, I don't want you. I don't want your stuff. I'm not interested in you. And he could have maybe had a genuine human type emotion concern that that king that he had rejected would cause him some trouble. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. 
Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. God is telling him, don't worry about the things that have just happened. Abram, I'm your shield. If the enemy attacks, you can flee to me. Don't worry about the fact that you turned down the reward that the king of Sodom wanted to give you because I'm your rewarder and your reward's going to be great. You see, we need to apply that same mindset to life because we will face difficulties in life more than we desire to face because we live in a fallen world. And there can be many, many difficulties we face in life. When we face difficulties in life, what we need to do is this. We need to say, God is my shield. I'm going to flee to God. I'm going to allow God to be my shield. He can take the fiery darts of the enemy. He can take the air as the enemy wants to shoot my way. He can take the blows of the enemy. God's my shield. I'm going to depend upon him and flee to him during times of difficulty. He's the one that will ultimately reward me. I'm not worried about the reward of the world because he is the one that will ultimately give me the reward. We need to have that mindset as we go through difficult times in our lives. Not only do we need to place our faith in God through difficult circumstances, secondly, we need to place our our faith in God through impossible circumstances. Through impossible circumstances. 2 through 5 of chapter 15. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. In the air of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, talking about his steward, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he, referring to God, brought him, Abram, outside, and he said, Look toward heaven, number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Earlier in Genesis 12, 2, God had told Abram, I will make you a great nation. At that time, in Genesis 12, 2, Abram was 75 years old. So that sounds challenging enough, doesn't it, that he's going to have some children? And his wife was in old age. They didn't have Viagra, guys. Now, you see, sometimes when we're reading Scripture, we lose a, time, a sense of time and space. What we're reading in Genesis 15, there's been 10 years that have passed. Abram is now 85 years old. Now put yourself in his shoes for a minute. God promised you 10 years ago that you're going to have a son. God promised you he's going to make a mighty nation out of you. Now 10 years have passed and the son's not there and you're starting to worry in your old age that you're going to die and this servant that you have over here is going to become the owner of all that you possess. I mean, honestly, put yourself in those shoes. You'd be saying, God, you promised me that. Why in the world are you waiting so long? We get impatient a lot of times, don't we? I, I, I don't know, but I suspect this might be the reason why. The reason why God 
have waited for another 10 years to pass. Because God wanted to be sure when Abram did have the child, God got all the credit for it. God wanted it to seem abundantly impossible that Abram could have any children. He didn't want it to be on the radar that Abram could say, well, finally I pulled it off and my wife pulled it off and, and now I've got a son. Instead, he had to wait even 10 additional years. Now he's 85 years old where it's abundantly clear that God did something, that God answered the request, that God showed up on the scene. See, sometimes I think God intentionally waits, so he must be the one that's magnified. You remember when Lazarus had died? And Jesus waited three days. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, his sisters were even concerned that he was stinking. Why in the world would he wait for those three days? Here's why. He wanted to be abundantly clear the only reason Lazarus was alive was because he spoke the words and called him out of the tomb. Our message is simply this. We we need to learn to trust in God even through impossible circumstances. And here's the answer that that God gave Abram when he asked God, what's going on? Why don't I have a child yet? God simply brought him outside. (laughs) And he said, I want you to look toward heaven. Did you get that? I want you to look toward heaven. And if you can number all those stars, that's how your offspring is going to be. I think basically God may have been doing this. Abraham, quit looking at the fact that you're 85. Quit looking to your circumstances. Quit looking at your steward. Quit looking at the situation. Instead, look above that and you focus on heaven. And that needs to be the same way you and I operate when we're facing impossible circumstances. Quit looking at yourself. Quit looking at the circumstances. Instead, we need to put our focus on the Lord. We need to look toward heaven and understand that's where the answer comes from. That's what helps us in impossible situations. The third thing is this, about God increasing Abram's faith. After God did that, after God had said all that he did to Abram, and said, look, look toward heaven, you're still going to have all these children that I promised you. The Bible tells us in chapter 15 and verse 6 that he believed the Lord. Abram believed the Lord and he, the Lord, God counted to him as righteousness. The third thing you need to get there is this. Place your faith in God and be counted righteous. Verse 6 is one of the most important verses in the Bible about faith and righteousness. It's extremely important that we understand what takes place here. It could be translated like this. You could say, and he, talking about Abram, said amen to what God said. And God put it to his account for righteousness. The word counted there in the the Hebrew is a a banking-type term, a mathematical-type term. To illustrate it would be the equivalent of you meeting someone on the street. And that person on the street makes you this wild promise. And you tell the person, well, because you told me that, I'm going to believe what you said. 
And then that person you told that you're going to believe the promise goes down to your local bank, goes into the bank, and puts a huge deposit in your account of finances simply because you believed what he said. But you see, the truth of the story is really much more powerful than that. God promised Abram, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. Abram said, amen, I believe that's true. And God counted that to Abraham as a reason he's righteous. Abraham wasn't righteous because he was good. He wasn't righteous because of his works. He wasn't righteous because he was innocent. He was a sinner just like we are. The only reason God counted him righteous was because he believed the promise of God. And that's the exact same way it works for us. Because we have to take God at his word. We take God at his word when he says, I sent my son, and my son went to the cross, and my son paid the full penalty of all of your sin. And when we believe God, that Jesus paid for all of our sin and took his life back up to prove that through faith in him, we're going to have everlasting life. When we take God at his word, God counts his own righteousness to our account. He takes the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he deposits it to your account because of the faith that you have in Jesus. Not because of your own personal goodness, not because of the works that you do, but simply because of your faith in Jesus, taking God at his word, he makes you righteous. And that's the same way everybody has to be saved. That's how Abram was saved, and that's the same way everyone has to be saved. Look what the Bible says here in a couple of places, then we're done. Romans 4, 1 through 3. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. He can pat himself on the back and brag about it. But not before God. For what does the Scripture say? We just read it a moment ago in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted or reckoned to him for righteousness. What else the Bible says? In Galatians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law? In other words, you didn't get the Holy Spirit. You didn't get God's Spirit by, by doing good works. Or does it come by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and what does it say? It was counted to him as, what's the word? Righteousness. And then to set it in a full context for us, in James chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, the Bible says, you see that faith was active, talking about Abraham, along with his works. That verse is following him talking about Abraham believing God enough to sacrifice his own son, which God didn't let him do. Instead, he said, look up, don't do it. Look, there's a ram caught over here. There was a type and a picture of Jesus also. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, the reason I went to James is this. The true story of salvation is not that we believe God. And then because we believe God, we know we're on our way to heaven. We just kind of come over and we sit down and we think, I'll just wait till I die now. I'll live however I want to live. I'll do what I want to do. I don't really have to, to do anything the Bible tells me. After all, I've trusted in Jesus. I'm saved by grace. You see, that's not a full picture of salvation. 
the full picture of salvation is this. Because we're saved by grace. Not in order to be saved, but because we're saved by grace. We love Him enough to do the things that He tells us to do. We love Him enough to carry out our works because we've been saved by God's grace, to to live for Him, to serve Him, and work for Him. Not that we might be saved, but because we're saved. We're to be actively involved in serving Him. Calling all men is our series. We've talked today about making your tithe and trusting in God. As I said to begin with, I think that's something men especially wrestle with. I, I mean, it's real easy. I understand the temptation. It's real easy to listen to the, to the king of Sodom, <laughs> to be tempted, you know, to just invest your life in worldly things. It's real easy for that. Especially for the guys. I mean, I, I left the drag strip yesterday starting to think, what can I spend on my motorcycle so I could beat Lynn Crump down the drag strip? <laughs> How can I make my toys better and nicer? Honestly, man, we think like that a lot, don't we? But when we make the wrong choices, we're investing in honoring the wrong king. The king of Sodom instead of honoring the king of righteousness and the king of peace. As men, we like to delude ourselves into thinking, I can handle anything. I can deal with it. So instead of us placing faith in God, when dangerous and bad circumstances come up, it's like we think, well, all we have to do is man up. You know, we will prove who we are and take care of it. But the truth of the matter is you can and I can't. Jesus said, apart from him, we can do nothing. You've heard me say this before. My, two, my New Testament professor I had years ago, Thad Dowdle, he, here's how he described nothing. It's a zero with the edge is wiped off. That's what we are without Jesus. That's what I am without Jesus. That's why we need to recognize that what we need to do is honor the right king, the king of righteousness, because he's also the king of peace. And that makes him worthy for us to honor with our tithe and with our service. We don't have time this morning to read other verses. I didn't even include them in the message. But you can go home and keep reading chapter 15. And you know what you'll find out? You'll find there's a sacrifice that takes place. God tells Abram he wants a sacrifice. And Abram goes and brings animals and also some birds. He doesn't divide the birds in half, but he does all the other animals. And then Abram sets back to watch over that sacrifice. And the Bible says the birds of prey come down and, and Abram gets off and keeps chasing them off. I don't know what that's a picture of, but, but maybe it's a picture of this. There are a lot of birds of prey in the world that we live today that want to come down and, and, and try and consume and act like the sacrifice of Jesus doesn't mean anything. Maybe we need to, by faith, be waving those birds of prey away and say, hey, our sacrifice does matter. What Jesus did for us does matter. And then it says, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and then, you, and then you have a vision that's given him of this furnace that represents judgment, and this torch that represents illumination, I think, 
passing between those divided parts of the sacrifice, which means this. It means God himself was making a covenant with Abram. Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. Jesus took God's judgment upon himself, the furnace of God for our sins. Jesus is our torch, our lamp of illumination. He's the one that we need to honor. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we, when we honor the wrong king in our lives. Help us to be on guard when we experience victories in our, in our life because there's, that's when a, a real temptation might hit. It happened in Abram's life. It happens through the Scripture. We see people winning a victory and then that's when temptation hits us. Forgive us for the times we've honored the wrong king. And Father, help us and empower us. And Lord, help us, especially as men, to make commitments that we're going to honor the king of righteousness, that we're going to honor the king of peace, that we're going to honor Jesus. Lord, are there any people in this place that have have been buying into Sodom, into the world, but they've not been buying into your kingdom. And they know you already. They've already been saved by your grace. Help them to see how we ought to so value what Jesus did for us on the cross that we at least give you a tenth, that we at least tithe a minimum to you to show our faith is in you and not in our own abilities. Father, help us to trust in you when we go through difficult circumstances, impossible circumstances. But Father, especially if there's anyone in this place this morning that does not have faith in Jesus. Father, I pray you help them to take you at your word. You tell us whoever believes and calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, if there's anyone in this place that has never believed, they've never put faith in Jesus, they've never called upon Him. I pray you give them the faith they need right now to do so. Help them to take you at your word concerning your Son and His sacrifice on the cross so they can be made righteous this morning. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.